And welcome to the Long Island Orange and Blue Podcast, a New York Mets and Islanders experience. I am your host, Jimmy Malone. You can always hit me up on Instagram at Jimmy Malone double underscore. And check out my online publications at Rising Apple for the Mets and at Eyes on Isles for the Islanders, both of the fan-sided website. What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the Long Island Orange and Blue Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Malone. And we'll be recapping the New York Islanders from this week. They played on Monday and Tuesday night. Monday, they went out to St. Paul to take on the Minnesota Wild, where things were not wild for the Islanders, other than getting their rear ends handed to them. And then Tuesday night, they went a little further north up to Winnipeg to take on the Jets. And this might be the most corny joke ever, but I wish they were playing the New York Jets. Because maybe they would have actually won the game if Robert Sala was on the other side of the bench as the opponent. He would have screwed something up and we would have won. But no, we screwed things up and we got our rear ends handed to us again. So let's start with the Monday night disaster up in St. Paul. This game starts off immediately. Anders Lee gets a slashing penalty. And then the former Ranger, Matt Zuccarello, banks in a goal. So now two minutes into the game, it's already one nothing Minnesota. And... The first period, the Islanders had some offense because there were a couple of penalties taken by Minnesota, but the power play was still pretty lackluster for the Islanders in this game. But it was really the second period that things all fell apart because at least the first period you could say, oh, well, Nelson, he had a good opportunity early on. It felt like he showed up to play. I mean, the Islanders were outshot. 12 to 10 in the first period, but the second line at least put on some sort of a performance. Everybody else, it was very mediocre. Um, Butch Goring called it early on. He said, this team, they're not skating. They're, they're not controlling the neutral zone. They're very weak on the, on their blue line defense where they're letting not only Minnesota, but feels like basically every team this year just get easy zone entries and then that puts more pressure on Elias Sorokin as we saw in this game where Sorokin after the first two periods his stat line looks good for a full game where he saved 29 out of 32 but anyway not to skip ahead too far we go into the second period after Killing off two penalties to end the first period on the Dobson and Palmieri penalties. We go into the second and then about halfway through with the Islanders having zero offensive zone time it felt like. Connor Duar finds the back in the net. And now it's a 2 nothing Minnesota lead. And then about a few minutes later you had the Horvat delay of game. Because he accidentally shot the puck out of play, which is amazing to me. Um, That 
you know, it's not like he was trying to stop the clock. Normally that's when they'll call the penalty is when it's somewhat deliberate. What Horvat did, that wasn't deliberate at all. That was kind of a weak penalty to be taken by the Islanders. But regardless, that led to Joel Erickson X power play goal. And this that goal came because Sebastian Ajo turned the puck over in the defensive zone. Um, it looks like the Islanders are going to clear the puck again. Aho really just wasn't even looking up that much. Wasn't paying much attention. Erickson Eck tur- turns it over and he gets the goal. So now it's 3 nothing, And then we get the Palmieri unsportsmanlike conduct penalty to end off the second. And... That was the ugliest period the Islanders have probably ever played. It was at this point that I was just thinking in my head, this team doesn't even look like they're trying. And like I said before, even, you know, Butch Goring normally goes easy on them and Brendan Burke, he'll go easy on them. They both had this Monday night disaster. But Butch was tearing them apart. He said this is the worst he's seen Matt Barzell skate all season. He basically said, if you're not going to show up and at least put on a little bit of effort, don't show up at all because you guys aren't even skating. Um, It really was just a disgraceful effort the first two periods. And it felt like the team quit on the head coach. It felt like whatever message he was trying to push across at him after losing in brutal fashion last Saturday night against Nashville, obviously giving up the game-winning goal with seven seconds left and then an empty netter with one second left to lose 3-1 to one in that game and hand Nashville two points. Um, whatever disciplinary action was taken after that game, it didn't get across to them because it didn't look like they cared. It really did not. And I know they do care. I know it bothers them. But that's the vibe that we all had watching this game. So now the Islanders, after the first two periods, again, the second period, they were outshot 20-3. to 22-3. I've never heard of that. Like I've said before, I've been watching the Islanders since 2008, 2009 or so. I've never seen... A period like that. You're outshot 20 to 3. And this team's a lot better than those late 2000s, early 2010s Islanders at the old Coliseum where nobody was showing up and they were just losing every single game, tanking for draft picks. That's not this team. This is the veteran team. They should be showing up to a game against a Minnesota team that's not that good. Yes, they've been playing much better lately. Yes, they've had some young players step up like Matt Boldy, who the Isles could have drafted back in 2019, or Brock Faber, who was traded over to Minnesota. Again, another right-handed defenseman we could have had. He was traded for not a whole lot from L.A. to Minnesota. I know they have some good young talent. They've been playing better as of late, but still... This is a team that you're better than. They're not a first-place team. They're sixth in the central. You should beat them. 
especially with playing a back-to-back and the Jets the next night. You have to beat Minnesota. But no, they, they didn't do that. So now we go into the third period. Ken Appleby now makes his Islander debut. He's behind the net. Uh, this was obvious to pull Sorokin at this point. The only thing I didn't like about it is that it felt like Lane Lambert basically waved a white flag. In a normal game, when you're down 3 nothing, you have, a, you know, odds aren't in your favor, obviously, but we've seen the Islanders blow three goal leads. I also remember a game in 2017 late um, into that actual calendar year, so around the holidays, when they came back from four goals down to win. So it's not impossible. Anyway, they pull Sorokin to save him for the back-to-back in Winnipeg. Uh, and there's nothing really to take away from this third period other than Minnesota put up two more goals. The scoring was even, eight shots on goal each. Um, you had uh, Kirill Caprizov, uh, high-sticking penalty, to Romanov where he got hit in the face and now he has that cage over his mat. Uh, over his helmet, kind of like what Clutterbuck had last year when he came out like he was, I got, I was going to say came out like he was Iron Man, but he had those nose plugs dangling out of his nostrils and he's coming out fighting with people. If anybody remembers that game from uh, December 2022, that's what Romanov had going on. Um, but he leaves the game early. He doesn't come back until... The next night in Winnipeg, there was, what, maybe about six minutes left in this game when Kaprizov gets that penalty. But the Islanders couldn't even take advantage of that. Uh, they, they turned the puck over when they're on the power play. And then that led to Eriksson Ek getting his second goal of the game, this time shorthanded. And that just described everything that was wrong with the Islanders in this game. They Everything... From moon to earth, you saw in this game that's bad about hockey or creates a bad hockey game. The Islanders did, and that capped it off a shorthanded goal. And then Marcus Foligno gets a goal with 19:03 into the third period, and that made it five nothing. Again, there were a couple of chances for Nelson and only Nelson in this third period, but that's it. Nothing else. So now, after that absolute disgrace, I'm sure Lambert said it was a cardinal sin again or whatever. I know Barzell said before the Winnipeg game that was a disgraceful performance. Nelson and Lambert both said after this loss to Minnesota that it was an unsatisfactory effort. Whatever. You guys need to bounce back. And you have the best team in hockey coming up the following night. You pulled Sorokin. Either way, you're still playing on a back-to-back. Either way, it still is, I believe, his 13th straight appearance because tonight's going to be 14 in Chicago, which is going to be very, very difficult. But let's skip ahead to now the Winnipeg game where the Islanders came out playing real well. And you really got to hand it to uh, Hellebuck, because he really, Connor Hellebuck, he's the goaltender for the Jets. He really played well. 
There were a couple opportunities in the first period. Kyle Palmieri had a couple. I thought Dobson had two great opportunities to score. I don't know how the hell he didn't. Um, Winnipeg took that penalty around the middle of the first period where the Islanders' power play actually looked competent, the Dylan DeMello tripping penalty. But before that, about halfway through the first period, Gabriel Velarde gets his 11th goal of the season. Uh, Regular 5-on-5 play. I believe it was Mayfield and Pellick that were out there for it. Just not, not a good job defending Sorokin. And again, this was really a good goaltending matchup because Sorokin has some great saves in the first period. One of them most notably against Kyle Connor. Um, I know he scored later on in the game, but in the first period, he had a beautiful opportunity to score and Sorokin stopped him. Sorokin had a couple, especially on Anders Lee's hooking penalties. Sorokin was basically, he wasn't Iron Man this game. He was Superman the way he was <laughs> he was blocking the puck to keep it uh, only down one nothing. But before Lee took the penalty, uh, he banks in his 12th goal of the season. That was his 15th goal against the Winnipeg Jets in his career. And he's played 17 career games against them. And the Lee goal, that was really Mike Riley. That was a great shot from him from the blue line. That was right when uh, DeMello's tripping penalty expired, so only two seconds after he came out of the box. So you could somewhat say the second power play unit finally had a power play goal this year, but yeah, in technical terms, no, because DeMello technically stepped back out onto the ice. Either way, Lee gets the tip in, and it's a tie game at one. We go into the second period. It starts off immediately. Mike Riley gets a tripping penalty. Again, the penalty kill looks awful. They're shooting all over Sorokin, but he's making save after save. And that just shows you how good this guy is. It gives you a chance to win every single night. For all the criticism people can throw at him, your numbers aren't as good as last year. They're not as good as last year because Dylaner defense is nowhere near what it was in the Barry Trotz years, and it's nowhere near what it even was last year. Uh, the Islanders had a power play opportunity on the... Uh, I'm not, should I even <laughs> attempt to pronounce his name? It's Namastikinov. Uh, whatever. Vladislav Namastikinov. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry. But he gets the holding penalty... And the Islanders had a pretty good power play. But then Scott Mayfield, as per usual, Scott Mayfield, as much as I like him, the guy feels like he takes a penalty every single game. It's either that or he turns the puck over in the regular season. And then come playoff time is when Scott Mayfield really shows up. But he gets the tripping penalty. That led to the Neil Pionk goal to make it a 2-1 Minnesota game. But then immediately... Right after that, Mason Appleton scores. And by the way, if anybody saw that Pionk power play goal, how can the Islanders leave the net that wide open? That was basically, he could have shot it two miles an hour, what it went in. Sorokin was on the complete other side of the crease. And Pionk with just a nasty uh, wrist shot. There was no chance for Sorokin to stop. That one's on the Islander defense. That was brutal. 
Um, but then Appleton scores right after to make it three to one. And that's how the second period would end. Riley would get another penalty on cross-checking, but this time they would actually kill off that penalty. Uh, the penalty kill in this game ended up being one, what would you say, three out of five because you had the Noah Dobson third period tripping penalty. But that that just tells the story of the game. The penalties killed them. And then you head into the third. Anders Lee scores immediately on a very weird goal. Uh, you had Horvat tucked into the back right corner of the O-zone. Uh, somehow gets a small pass to Anders Lee. He just shoots it at the side of the net, crossing his fingers, hoping maybe it'll somehow get past the goaltender, and it does. It actually got past Hellebuck, and now it's a 3-2 to two game. So now Anders Lee has 16 goals in 17 career games against Winnipeg, which, again, very impressive. And the Islanders are all of a sudden back in. It's a 3-2 game. Uh, and in this period... If I remember correctly, Palmieri had an amazing opportunity in front of the net. But again, Hellebuck, he was just terrific in this game. 35 out of 37, only giving up those two goals. Uh, Sorokin was 40 out of 43. And most of those shots he had to save were coming on the penalty kill. And the Islanders had their opportunities. Right after they pull Sorokin, Brock Nelson has it at the blue line of the offensive zone. He turns the puck over to Kyle O'Connor. He gets the empty netter. Now it's a 4-2 game, and the game is pretty much over. They're not coming back with the minute and a half left to get two goals. And they dropped their how many in a row now? I know that's three in a row in regulation. If you go back to last week, because now all these games just feel mixed into one. This Nashville, Minnesota, and Winnipeg games all feel mixed into one. So since they came back to win in overtime against Toronto on the Barzell overtime game winner, they're only three. And all of them, so they've gotten zero points in the last three games. And, you know, so much for that eight-game point streak they had. Uh, coming into January, or I'm sorry, going from November into December because that's all wiped away. And you look at the upcoming schedule, they still have one, two, three, four, five games until the All-Star break, including tonight in Chicago. They have Dallas on Sunday at home. That's going to be lovely. Vegas on Tuesday at home. Montreal next Thursday. That's on the road. I, see, this is something stupid about the NHL. Why would you play two home games and go to Montreal, then come back home to play Florida, and then right after All-Star break, go up to Toronto? Why wouldn't you just go up to Toronto while you're up in Montreal? It doesn't make any sense, but you're playing almost all playoff teams from last year, other than Montreal, even though they weren't horrible last year and they haven't been terrible this year they haven't been good but they haven't been terrible Chicago's the one that's awful I mean I remember in 2015 or so when I really became a huge diehard well more like 2013 Chicago was they were 
competing for the Stanley Cup every single year. What a fall from grace they've had. But that's what we have going tonight at 8.30. It's of note that Pierre Engvall did not play against Winnipeg. They put Zizekas on the IR uh, yesterday. So Kyle McLean will be coming up to make his NHL debut. He's 24 years old. He's a centerman. I know everybody's disappointed that Ruslan Ishikov's not coming up, but I guess there's an opportunity for him now with Engvall. Uh, probably not playing for back-to-back games. So find a way to make an excuse not to bring up Ishikov. They'll say, well, we got to put Fashing in. We got to put Engvall in when he comes back. Please, I don't want to see Engvall again. I know he's fast. I know he can pass the puck. But please, this was an awful contract by Lou Lamorello. There's no point. I'd rather see Ishikov. Let me see a young kid. Um, and and that's really it. There's there's not a whole lot to say, guys. I mean, you have the five games till the All Star break. Can you win three of them? Can you beat Chicago tonight? Because if they lose to Chicago tonight, uh, I I don't see how heads don't roll at some point this season. I know they lost to San Jose and Lambert. Survived it. I know they had that ugly West Coast trip where they blew third period leads to Edmonton and Seattle. And that's the that's the stretch of games I always bring up because they came back home and won three in a row. And then after that San Jose game is when they went on that crazy eight-game point streak. But since then, since then they've been very win-loss, win-loss up until... That overtime loss in Colorado, well, really the 3-1 loss at Pittsburgh, but that road trip is really what started off this awful losing streak because since that game in Pittsburgh, they're 0-1-1, so they're 2-6-1 since then. So it's back-to-back years of just awful Januaries for this team. And I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like the Mets when they go through that June swoon where they fall into the abyss and the zombies from underneath City Field from that ancient burial ground that they built City Field on top of. Well, more like the dumps, but maybe there's an ancient burial ground under there, like Joe Benigno from WFAN likes to say, and the zombies come up and the Mets can't hit at City Field. That used to be the reasoning. So suffice it to say, the Islanders, they have to get some points tonight against Chicago, without question. So hopefully when I talk to you guys on Monday, we'll be breaking down an Islander win in Chicago and see where they go from there. Again, only five games until the All-Star break. Looks like it's going to be a tough stretch. Let's just hope tonight they don't get some bad voodoo by seeing Mayor Lightfoot, Bigfoot, Dumbfoot, whatever you want to call her. Well, no, now the Chicago mayor is her clone, so whatever you want to call him. Anyway, they just got to be Chicago tonight. All right, I'll talk to you guys on Monday. This is Jimmy Malone on the Long Island Orange and Blue Podcast. You can hit me up on Instagram at Jimmy Malone double underscore. Check out my Met articles at Rising Apple on the fan-sided website and the Island articles, Eyes on Isles, also by the fan-sided website. Thank you.